1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. I do like to get involved in the odd property forum uh, posting and and try to offer a bit of advice and support if I possibly can. You can mostly find me in the Property Hub where I am classed as as an obsessed member with well over 700 posts and and, uh, also well over 500 post likes so far now. And this seems to be a good audience, I think, to engage with in particular, as there are lots of new and early stage investors hanging out there. And let's just say that they've not been totally sold on the become a property millionaire in five minutes pitch that you can find in some quarters. Needless to say, today I'm going to share with you the essence of a forum exchange that uh, I had with an aspiring investor adopting something similar to the approach I tend to take with what I call a mini strategy review which you can find details of on my website thepropertyvoice.net. Just take a look at the mentoring page and you'll find it buried in there somewhere. Right so let's queue up the post and then dive into an adapted version of my response
0: right now. Okay so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter.
1: First, let's set the scene with an outline of the original post, which comes from Raphael, who goes on to say, For some time, I've been interested in, in property investing, but I do not own any property yet. So first time investor. I'd like to hear your opinions about the strategy that I'm thinking of. My strategy assumes that in the next couple of years, say plus or minus five, I will build a portfolio of properties that bring in at least £1,000 net monthly income. Moreover, what is the most important point to me is I want it to be quite hands-off after that time. Ideally, if I could spend most of my time outside the UK, visiting it only once a month or once every two months would be ideal. So here's a description of my financial situation and the basic parameters of that strategy. I currently have savings of about £8,500. I'm able to set aside some money to uh, save in the order of £1,400 per month. For the next couple of years, I will intend to buy properties, uh, either one or two bedroom houses, in the areas located 5 to 10 kilometres, which is around about 3 to 7 miles, uh, distance from Manchester city centre. I'm aiming at properties in the price span of around about 40 to 80, pounds to £80,000. I'll be using interest-only mortgage with a 25% deposit and I'll be getting a reliable, reliable letting team on board. I'm aiming for something like uh, £200 to £350 pounds per month after mortgage costs and all other costs have been taken into account in terms of uh, net monthly income from each property. I'll be reinvesting the net income uh, along the way and obviously after five years that'll become my my sole source of income. Is that possible in your opinion to carry out this plan with the assumptions given above? I appreciate each and every single opinion. Thanks in advance, Raphael. Well, Raphael, I'm glad that you would appreciate each and every opinion because obviously I gave you mine on the uh, on the forum, but I'm going to expand on it now and uh, made it rather public. But uh, it's a public forum, so I'm hoping that's okay with everybody. So here is something of an adapted version of my response to Raphael. I've kind of adapted it slightly since then, but uh, it's more or less the, the essence of what was exchanged. I think it's um I think it's fair to say it's great that you've actually got a plan in the first place because not everybody does this. So that's that's a very encouraging start to actually have something of an outline plan that you 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 mentioned in your in your original post. I also like the fact that you've got a, a set um a very clear goal. And not only a clear goal financially, so you've got an income target in a specified period of time. I like that. You know, good the best goals have got numbers in them. So number of years, amount of money, that kind of thing. So I like that. But it also recognizes your lifestyle or personal preferences as well. And I think that's really important to identify. So you talk particularly about in five years what your plans are that potentially you want to be very hands off. You you might not even live in the country. You might visit just once or twice and that sort of thing. So I think it's quite clear uh, you, you've got a, a set lifestyle in, in mind. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that un- unfolds for you. But uh, you also talk about the portfolio being hands-off after five years. But you you don't really mention what you're prepared to do as you're building the portfolio. So I'm just going to make an assumption um, that you intend to be a little more hands-on during this phase. It might make a difference. If you can't be quite as hands-on, you might need to look at things slightly differently. But I'm making an assumption. And so um, based on your outline strategy and indeed some assumptions I've made, a lot of this is going to uh, follow through. And your question was, is it possible? Uh, well, is it possible? Yes, in theory, it kind of is. But there are a few buts in there to consider. So kind of is and a few buts. Um, the first of those buts is really the type of property that you'll you'll be getting into at that price point. You're looking at between forty and 80, pounds and £80,000 around, you know, fairly close to the city centre of Manchester. That's what you've outlined often it, it will need to have some kind of work doing it with it, a property of that kind of nature, that kind of price point uh, in that sort of location. So um, either to make it lettable in the first place or indeed to keep it lettable uh, on an ongoing basis. In other words, you're going to need some additional costs to start off with. And uh, so it's not just buying the property with a deposit. It's also some costs to refurbish the property potentially as well. So unusual to be able to get a lock and go uh, type of property at that price point it is possible. Probably at the upper end of that uh, particular scale. Uh, But even if you do, there will probably be some kind of costs involved in going in, even if that's just a, a lick of paint and a little bit of light redecoration. But of course, there'll be some maintenance costs as well. And on older properties, there could be quite a considerable amount of maintenance. But it it might also mean managing a works project as well. And so that's why I talked earlier about being more hands on. Of course, you can outsource a lot of this stuff. I'm a bit of an expert on outsourcing. I can give you quite a lot of tips on how I go about things. But um, essentially, you'll either have to manage the people yourself or pay someone else to do that on your behalf. So there'll be a cost involved or a bit of time involved in doing that. And of course, it might ultimately mean tying up a little bit more cash in each project than perhaps you're expecting with just something like a 25% mortgage and and, uh, entry fees and that kind of thing. I'd also say if you intend to be location independent of the properties in the future, which you've, you've expressed you'd like to be. Then you might not also you might not necessarily need to restrict the area you're looking in right now as well. So you've obviously put quite a narrow search criteria, which is within a radius of Manchester City Centre. But if your primary goal is income, then you you need to be looking in high yield areas or at higher yielding properties. But that doesn't necessarily tie you down to Manchester. So there are other locations that you could potentially consider as well. So that's one of the things I wanted you to perhaps open your mind or or thinking to, especially uh, if you're not going to be self-managing and you intend to be uh, remote from the properties in the long term. Bearing in mind, I'm giving this uh, particular suggestion for your personal situation. So if you would have said something different, I might have given a different response as well. But equally, as I kind of touched on just now, with um, older properties, older houses, you need some money spending on them usually. And uh, and that will be in the form of, of maintenance uh, or uh, works going in at the front end. Um, but of course, you could consider an alternative. It might be newer flats or newer built properties. Uh, newer, newer built flats in particular have service charges. So it's kind of a bit of swings and roundabouts there. There'll be maintenance costs on older properties and on newer flats there might be service charges. Either way there's going to be additional costs that are going to eat into your cash flow so don't uh, don't forget to to factor those into the equation. And a lot of people say oh, I won't need to do anything for many a year and they get caught out by some unexpected expense because unfortunately in property uh, the, the thing you can expect is the unexpected and there will be costs that arise along the way, um, trust me. <laughs> But so um, I'd therefore have a look at the type of properties that you could buy. You've talked about one and two bedroom houses and, um, and see how much money you would need to spend on them to get them letterable and, um, and then run the full numbers to get your net cash flow position based on local comparable rent levels. So, um, you know, in this respect, perhaps a couple of pieces of guidance, I'd I'd allow rather somewhere between two and six weeks of voids per year. So that's gaps in your rent or unpaid rent. Uh, On average, um, I think the NLA say it's around about three weeks, so somewhere between two and six depending on what uh, kind of property, what kind of location, what kind of tenant uh, might be higher in some cases than in others. And uh, you might get lucky. You might have a one or two year stretch without having any voids, but then you might get, you know, a period of time. So on average, it's fair to assume some level of voids is going to take place. And the other thing, the other big cost to take uh, account of is maintenance. And um, I'd suggest you allow somewhere between five and fifteen percent of your annual rental income uh, to cover for maintenance costs, and that can sound quite quite a, a high expense. And in particular, if you think you're going into a property which is in pretty decent nick, but if you consider that you know a boiler replacement could be two or three thousand pounds, so, um, you know, including uh, all the pipework and and, he- and heating system, um, roof repairs can be. Several thousands of pounds. Windows can be can add up. You can see how putting aside a set sum of money to cover these sort of costs is going to be a wise thing for you to do, and won't you won't get so caught out then if it would if it were to happen. So it does depend on the property condition, but definitely allow something for for, for maintenance costs. Finally, you've got other fees. You've got letting fees. You've got some insurance. You have some annual inspections, like your gas safety inspection, for example. You might be in a licensed area. I don't think you are actually particularly in Manchester, but in some parts of the country you might be. And of course, you'll have some running costs. You'll have your own personal expenses, and you may have some accounting costs to take into consideration. And of course, I, I might, I've, when I when I wrote this out, I was thinking this is all pre-tax, so. You probably have some tax to pay as well. So don't forget to account for the tax is all I would say. So when we're talking about net cash flow or net income, usually that's after tax. So don't forget to factor the tax. And don't forget these days tax deductions are not quite as advantageous as they perhaps used to be. So I'd allow an allowance of around about 25%, and that's going to sound like a crazy sum of money, but around 25% of the gross annual rent per year. It wouldn't be an unreasonable assumption to make in terms of the costs uh, for for running a hands-off property investment with an older property. This excludes mortgage costs, and it also excludes taxation. So I'm just talking about the, the literal costs like letting fees and that kind of thing, and maintenance and voids, allow about 25%. Allow for your mortgage, allow for tax, and, uh, and then you should be able to get to a net income situation. Because the second point is the net rental income, which is also linked to the property type just mentioned, but also the tenant type. So, have you done any analysis on the rents and the tenant type uh, to arrive at your target of two hundred and fifty to, or sorry, two hundred to three hundred and fifty pounds per month in net income? I, I don't know if you have, but um, to be honest, 350 pounds a month sounds pretty high uh, for a hands-off investment at these sorts of price points, certainly based on vanilla single nets single lets rather to to working tenants or indeed uh, to single family uh, benefit tenants as well for that matter. So um, I think perhaps some of the high end of that is pretty uh, optimistic. Um, assumption. So, it's always worthwhile, you know, testing the the validity of local rents. You can just do that quite simply. Do a right move, search, right move, or Zoopla search in the in your local area, and you'll you'll get a feel for the types of comparable rent levels uh, for similar properties. So, you can do that uh, certainly on the income side of things but um let me let me sort of illustrate that point by giving you something of an example uh, this is a real life example it's a, it's a deal that we recently shared on our deal tip service, the rwpt real uh, uh, some real deal tip service um, It happens to be in Liverpool, so it's just a stone's throw away really from Manchester. I'm trying to pick one that was in in your price point so it's not necessarily typical of all of the projects that we share on the deal tip service, but it's fairly you know consistent. With uh, what you're looking for, so it cost around about forty-five thousand pounds. In fact, actually, just before um, recording this, I checked, and there's a it was a, it's a repossession, and mor- the mortgage, a mortgage or has repossessed the property, and they were selling it on. And there's an announcement on the uh, estate agent's uh, website that an offer of forty-five thousand has been been received, and if anybody wants to bid any more than that, then they're welcome to do so our guideline was 45,000 was a maximum bid. So um, I don't know if somebody saw that or we actually all think the same, but uh, 45,000 was uh, the price. So it's a fairly standard two up, two down terrace property in Liverpool. But on that particular property, it needed some work doing on it. And you often find that those sorts of price points. So in this particular case, I, I seem to recall that the roof was not in the best of condition. Uh, there are other bits and pieces in the property, and But believe it or not, you could actually spend around £25,000 on getting it fully lessable, plus some additional uh, acquisition costs and that kind of thing. So um, that's the bad news, I suppose. You know, you buy it for £45,000, you might sink £25,000 into that and do not underestimate that. Do not think that you can just get things on the cheap and also command high rents. Uh, and also avoid high maintenance costs because everything, you know, trades off against one another. So to get a decent return, spend the 25000 then you'll attract the right sort of tenants, then you'll have less maintenance worries is my kind of a byline to this. However, the good news is that particular property, we benchmarked it up, and in a fully done up condition uh, in that location, it should be worth around about £85,000 or thereabouts once it's, uh, it's done up properly. And um, and so that it could mean it could be potentially refinanced to extract some of the cash required to get it set up. So, just hold that thought for a second. But you know, you've got a 45,000 property, you spend 25 on it, it's worth 85. So, um, that's what's There's a 10,000 or so profit, isn't it? All in. And that's that's allowing for all costs. We tend to allow for all costs in our, our assumptions. So, there's nothing really hidden, it even includes paying council tax whilst you're having the property done up. So, um, that's the level of detail that we go in in terms of estimating our figures. We happen to know the local rent around the area is around about £550 a month. It is probably more of a benefits or LHA type of tenant area. I'm not saying it's exclusively that, but £550 a month is a sort of figure that you could potentially expect to achieve realistically in that area. And so after all the costs and the provisions, it would net around £200 a month in cash flow, and that's pre-tax. So that kind of backs up what I was saying about £350 being a bit of an optimistic um, you know thing to look for in terms of the cash flow position for a hands-off investment. You can claw a little bit at back of that revenue if you were to be a, a self-managing landlord, but of course you'd have the time and the hassle and the inconvenience of dealing with those tenants um for the privilege of uh, snatching back a uh, you know a small amount of money, what fifty quid or something like that per month for self-managing. So I don't know if it's really worth it, to be honest. And it's also not your long-term plan. So you may as well set it up as you intend to manage it in the long term as well and have it fully, fully managed, which is what you said you would do. Of course, the alternative to buying this one uh, cheap and doing it up would also be, be to buy an alternative one ready to go. In other words, you could buy the the equivalent of the £85,000 one instead of the £45,000 and spending them at £25,000 to get it into a fully letable condition. But if you were to do that, i.e. buy the £85,000 equivalent, you're going to need around £25,000 or so as a deposit, uh, including the usual fees and other buying costs, versus around about £46,000 if you're following what I would call the buy, refurbish, refinance model. So that's where you put a deposit in, you use a mortgage to buy the property, you spend the $25,000 on the works and the other costs that we talked about in the first example. Um, But the the difference here is that you get to refinance it once you've done the work. So it could be six months, it could be sooner if you use certain types of lenders, um, but let's work on a six-month refinancing term. And um, that would leave, if you refinanced it, you should be able to release some cash uh, based on eighty-five thousand, you'd end up leaving about eighteen thousand pounds uh, left in that property after refinancing it. So, in other words, that would save you around seven thousand pounds, or twenty-eight—that sorry, not 28 percent of your starting funds uh, once it's been refinancing, uh, refinanced rather, by following the BRR or buy, refurbish, refinance model. And that's why I like it. That's why I like the, the BRR model because it allows you to make your money go a little bit further. And um, so I'm highlighting this example for a couple of reasons, really. First, is to show the type of net cash flow position and funds requirement you might need based on a real world example. I've taken a real-world example, we've worked it through, I've used it to illustrate my point, not just talking in theory, this is a real property, you could, I could show you the link, you could go and see the rent levels, you could go and see what the, what's been offered that, for that property, you could see the condition it's in and, and justify that uh, it's going to need a, a hell of a lot of works ne- uh, needed doing, I could, sh- <laughs> I could even show you an outline schedule of works to, to back that up as well as uh, if you wanted to. So. It's a real world example. If you were to buy it cheap, do it up equally, you could just buy an equivalent for uh, the 85,000 and just, you know, not do the works, but you still got a hefty sum of money to put in in terms of deposits and other fees and that kind of thing. So either way, it's a, it's a reasonable sum of money. And either way, it's going to net you around about the 200 pounds a month in net cash flow. And that's an important point. pounds a month from that property. So the BRR strategy is um, is one that would work best if you could pay cash, but certainly at that sort of price level. So uh, you're going to need around about £75,000 um, if you're to fully finance it in cash. And that would obviously save some of the financing fees as well and allow you to uh, make your money go a little bit further. Uh, You've got less outlay and that kind of thing. But the BRR strategy in general um, means you got less cash left in the deal than you would have done if you just bought a ready done up property and therefore it allows your money to go a bit further as I mentioned. So if that's the case, you could potentially squeeze three or four of these types of property out of your full five year investment pot. So I've added up everything that you said, uh, your savings, your starting fund, etc., your reinvested uh, profits. And um, I've assumed that you could probably get something like three or four of those properties um, without the re- following the BRR model, that is, and, and that's equivalent to around about six or eight hundred pounds a month in net cash flow before tax. So in effect, you'd actually miss your goal. Sorry about that news, but uh, that's the reality. Um, you might be able to squeeze an extra uh, property or two out of the pot by following a BRR strategy. That's why I like it. So, in this case, you could maybe take take your income potential from uh, six to eight hundred pounds a month in net cash flow to around about eight hundred to twelve hundred a month, and hopefully reaching your your goal of a thousand pounds a month. Um, So it's a bit more work to make your money stretch further, but with the BRR strategy, it's certainly an option, and therefore it's the second point really that I wanted to bring up. Well, could you do better than this example even? Well, potentially yes, you can, and and I certainly done better than that. And uh, but what I'm trying to do is show you a fairly typical, easy to find project that most people could locate alone and undertake without too much effort and without too much drama. That project that I, I mentioned in in Liverpool, you could find it quite easily. You could probably you know, it's it's proven that uh, a bit an offer has been accepted for uh, forty five thousand. Remains to be seen if they're outbid, but let's leave it at that. Um, $25,000 sounds like a lot of money, but you know when you're going into these projects, that's the sort of money you need to allocate. But you should be able to get someone to deliver that kind of quality product uh, for you without you necessarily having to do that. So uh, yes, you could do a little bit better. Um, There's also a couple of things you could do completely differently as well. So I'm I'm thinking of you, Rafael, here. So whenever I look at doing a mini strategy review, I'm tailor-making my my advice and my suggestions for the individual and you know looking at their total picture that's why i said earlier i'm mean, really pleased that not only have you got a plan you've got your finances laid out and uh, a sort of an outline a preference if you like of how you'd like to go about things but you talk about your lifestyle choices as well what you do like to do what you don't like to do you want to be hands off you want to be remote eventually so it's very important i think to align any sort of strategic advice to the individual and their personal circumstances so this is directed at you rafael so if it isn't directed at everybody listening to this um hopefully you understand that you know this can be tailor-made uh but if it sounds like you then that's great too so so as I mentioned, there's a couple of things you could do completely differently. And um, one of the first things, the obvious thing really to consider is uh, higher yielding strategies. Uh, so think about things like LHA strategies. Now, I'm probably thinking for my Liverpool alternative, that would be LHA anyway, potentially. Um, but I'm thinking alternative LHA strategies here. So um, you might be able to split a property up into a couple of units, for example. Uh, you might be able to get a large family in a larger home and command a higher higher rental income uh, by converting, uh, let's say, a lounge into a bedroom, that kind of thing. So that's what I mean by certain LHA strategies. It's fine-tuning the LHA model effectively and not just saying it's a two-bed property, therefore it's the two-bed LHA rate. Uh, The other alternative is, uh, you know, often people think about is HMOs or Houses of Multiple Occupation. Now, with the latter... An HMO, you're going to need more money going into the deal at the front end because there's going to be more work to convert the property to make it make it HMO ready, particularly if it's licensable, but you're going to need to furnish it, you're going to need to carry some costs with bills, you're going to need to make some, some modifications to the property maybe to convert the odd room into a bedroom and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's more money going in at the front end, but it's also higher potential net cash flow per property uh, as well. So here think one or two HMO properties over the five years instead of four to six single lets. So that's your contrast really. So on one or two properties you could potentially achieve the same sort of result as four or six uh, single let properties. So that might have some uh, appeal. Let's say just having one or two properties to manage certainly going to make your life a lot easier. But if you don't fancy a load of hard work for the next five years, because obviously if you were to go about something like between four and six uh, single let properties, there's quite a lot of work, you know, it's at least one project a year. Um, if you don't fancy that, um, you, you know, perhaps I've shocked you a little bit with some of the figures and some of the deductions that you need to set aside and that kind of thing, how much you need to put in to go into, in the front end, then there's an alternative. Why don't you just maybe set aside your money in a high-interest facility for the next five years? Obviously, put top it up with the savings that you, we've been talking about. And then just go and buy yourself a few low-maintenance flats or newish houses or a ready-made HMO or two. With the funds when you're ready to invest or you've, you've got enough money set aside to buy one. So you might not need to wait the full five years is what I'm saying. So you maybe you could save up for a couple of years and buy one and then save up for the last couple of years and buy another one. So maybe just a couple of properties um, ready done up, particularly the HMO variety. It's entirely possible. And uh, this is what I call the easy life alternative. People seem to be desperately you know, wanting to get involved in property and um, you know, give themselves another job. Uh, by some of the projects that are being undertaken. And you can certainly make some money by doing that. But there's an easy life alternative as well. You can ask someone else to do it for you. You can buy properties that are already ready to go. Uh, maybe there's a compromise along the way, but it just makes your life a lot easier. So um, if you're not ready to uh, work evenings and weekends and uh, get your fingers dirty and, and have a lot of stress in your life, maybe it's something to consider. But always remember, I'm just going to beat this drum a little bit louder, don't forget to set aside funds for voids and for maintenance, um, especially if it's going to be your only source of income after five years, and don't forget the tax uh, as well, because that needs to be paid for, of course. Anyway, it's just a bit of food for thought for you, and also to show something of an insight into the type of thought process analysis, and analysis rather, that I tend to undertake when working with people on what I call a mini strategy review exercise. And it's really designed to open their thinking to other possibilities, uh, and, and, lo- and also at least to test their logic in, the, in a real-world setting. So I try and do two things: testing the logic in a real-world setting, of course, is a primary objective. Will it work? Um, also, uh, what are my alternatives? You know, are there other possibilities out there? That's why I looked at um, the LHA HMOs, or even just you know, save your money for five years and buy things ready to go. Then, um, so I was trying to look at things that way. Um, Sometimes, to be honest with you, um, I also have what's called a curveball option in um, in a mini strategy review. So that's maybe something that, you know, is totally off the wall. It's not totally off the wall, but it's just something a bit different. Uh, so anyway, if anybody's ever had that, you can probably vouch for that sort of thing as well. So normally just sanity check what you've got, give a couple of alternatives and the odd curveball as well just to get you thinking. But it's usually apply mine and my business partner Damien's experience into your personal situation. But needless to say, on that note, I just wanted to say that I do undertake mini strategy reviews on uh, property investor plans, uh, as I've kind of mentioned. And as it so happens, I'll also be running an event uh, soon called the Property Investor Toolkit Live. And that's going to be held on Saturday, the 1st of July, 2017 in London. Um, It'll pick up uh, the key elements actually of my book, Property Investor Toolkit, but it Along with a sneak peek into two brand new chapters, uh, which I'm in the process of writing to uh, to produce the second edition. So I think it's time that I turn the seven steps that are outlined in that in, in that book into nine. So there's a couple of missing chapters, I think, which I'm in the process of uh, of adding to. Um, so. In addition, I'm also allocating a segment of the event to look at some strategy reviews, or mini strategy reviews of some of the investors uh, which I intend to coach live on the day. So those, those small number of investors will get live coaching on their strategy, so it could be a Raphael or somebody equivalent to that, it comes with that kind of scenario, and I take them through a similar process live on the day. But of course, everybody else gets to, to observe. Um, so not everybody's situation is like raffles. You know, uh, there'll be other people who want to be much more hands-on, there'll be other people who've got much more money, other people who want to, you know, have a very high income strategy, other people who don't need income right now and they just want to sort of set aside for a, a future a rainy day, as it were. So... Everybody's situation is different and personal to them. So a few people I'm gonna look at and hopefully we'll walk people through and hopefully I we'll won't get too curb too many curveballs running my direction that day. But every attendee will also have the option of receiving um, a a signed copy of my book if they would like one. I'm not going to force it on anybody, but if anybody would like one, um, they'll get a signed copy of my book. And they'll receive the two additional chapters in advance of the release of the second edition as well. And so that's quite an incentive really for me to get them actually finished. Um, So that's something. Uh, And if that's not enough, you'll also receive 100% rebate on my next book which is all about property financing. Um, That's going to be the next book which is coming out later this year as well. So a lot of book related uh, benefits, if you like, uh, there. Um, But if that's not enough, um, some of the premium attendees will also get to have a live coaching session, as I mentioned, where I get to look at uh, their plan strategy. But if you don't want me to look at your strategy, you know what your strategy is, As an alternative, I'm also happy to do what I call a deal surgery. So that's where I look at a a property project that you perhaps are looking at at the moment and kind of unpick it really and just have a look at what I think about that particular project, do some number crunching, some analysis, test your assumptions and uh, and sort of give you that sort of critique, if you like, a deal critique or a a deal surgery. So there's a couple of alternatives uh, that you'll get to see presumably if people want that kind of thing on the day, which I'll give the choice. But um, if you want to know more about the event, there'll be a link in the show notes, uh, or you can just ping me a quick email, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and we can have a conversation instead. So I hope this snapshot strategy review or mini strategy review has been insightful today. Um, I like to dip into the odd property forum and give back a little bit when I can, and this is an example of that. I'd also like to meet some of you in person as well, if I possibly can. So I hope you can join me in London in a couple of weeks' time. Remember the date, the 1st, sorry, Saturday, the 1st of July in London. And um, you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, if you want to talk about anything from today's show or more generally in property investing. And of course, the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's
0: ciao ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to the propertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.